Cool. Well, it's good to see you all. We've had a very good time this week. And first of all, I'd like to say thank you for those who've prayed for us as we've been out on the greens, um, worshipping and speaking to people, doing various things. It's been really good. And there's a couple of videos that have been made by the team. It's been YWAM and some guys that have come in and various Christians. There's some videos that we'll perhaps um, put on Facebook as you'll be able to see what's been going on. But it's been really good. Um, Connie said she's, well, look, she's not never seen, but there's such an openness. There's such an openness to talk about the things of God and Jesus. And, you know, she's pretty awesome. She goes for the young, tall people, guys, you know, that you and I would kind of step away from. She goes in there with the gospel and engage them, which is great. It's really good. And she's had some uh, people with her. And it's been really good for worshipping, as I say. Um, we've been making contacts with people in Cambridge, Christians in Cambridge, working together, finding a heart, a, a similar heart of, of worship, firstly, that's, that creates an atmosphere that the gospel can go forth. But the, the worship isn't secondary, it's part of God coming on, on the green, and that's our heart. And we found people with similar heart, and they just slotted in. It's been great. Dee came with us one, one day, and um, that was good. And Stephen has been doing fantastic. They call him Step Up Stephen now. It's almost his name, Step Up Stephen, because he's been stepping up, playing the keyboard out in the street. I didn't know he could play it, um, and doing things which has been, it's been really good. And I'm sure he will share when he comes next week or the next time he's here. One of the, well, quite a few highlights, but on my Facebook, I posted about an 87-year-old lady who uh, started the year. She was a Christian, but she broke uh, four vertebrae in her back, and someone prayed for her, had about five words of knowledge about her eye, about the back, and I can't remember what else. But she got healed, and she gave testimony. She was just carrying a stick, you know, went off. She still went off first, and then she came back to tell us that, you know, she was carrying a stick, and so there's a little video. And that's been really good. And uh, various people have been doing things. It's, it's been great um, from different churches, different denominations. But one thing I just want to share, which was, I suppose, a bit of a highlight. It was a highlight for me. Um, yesterday, we were outside Great St. Mary's at 2.30. We are praising and uh, we are working with a guy from Oakington. And we were singing some old songs. I mean, old. Some of you wouldn't know these songs. But with such a an anointing and a passion and a joy that people are getting affected, which is great. But during that time, I knew, I knew this was going to happen. I thought it was going to have to happen afterwards. But I went with five other people to the Reformation Church, you know, the Martyr Church, Edward the Martyrs. If you don't know Cambridge, um, it's a little church where the first evangelistic sermon was preached um, and where they've got uh, Ridley, uh, Cranmer's pulpit, the actual pulpit that Cranmer and Ridley and all those guys prayed from. And this lady wanted us to go and pray about uh, unity in, in the city. You can watch me if you like. Mark's just doing a bit of bits and bobs. Just keep your eyes on me. <laughs> if I see your eyes go, I can't, I can't do it. But yeah, so I went there and it was amazing. You know, and I've been on a bit of a journey. So you might find this a bit wacky, okay? But at the beginning of the year, and I shared this last week, um, I was watching this preach. Um, Oliver and I were watching this guy. We only watched him for a little bit of time. There was just a few things we need to hear, and then we sort of stopped watching him. But one of the things for me is that God puts treasure in people that perhaps you would despise. He was talking from Joshua and the spies. They went to Jericho, and God took them to Rahab, you know, a prostitute, and she had the word of the Lord for them, the treasure. 
And he said that for some of you, for him and for some of you, that's the same. And I'm finding that treasure in people that in the past I would have not touched with a barge pole. Okay, and that's wrong. That is wrong. But so I've been on a journey. So yesterday I was playing, praying in the Reformation Church with a guy who was a Catholic who became Protestant, or not a guy, someone who was a Catholic who became a Protestant, a Protestant who became a Catholic, someone who was a lifelong Catholic, me, I was an Anglican, but I'm a raving charismatic, and another guy who was a Catholic and now is a raving charismatic. So, you know, what a mixture, praying for unity in, in that church and a reformation, yeah, reformation of the church in city. And what we're seeing is there's one church in this city, and it's not faith life. We're just a bit of it. We're just a bit of it. And we were praying for the church in the city to come, be, you know, to find Monica, that's, that's what we've been doing over this little, little while, finding people with a similar heart who we're working with. And it's, it's fantastic. I've, there's people, since November, I think Mark got me involved with this little group of guys uh, in November. And I've met so many fantastic people, um, Catholics, Anglicans, whatever, you know, um, it's, it's been really good. And one of the things we're praying was, uh, and one of the guys felt this, that the anointing for uh, the message of the evangel, the evangelistic message going forth from that pulpit. Yeah, the first evangelistic sermon. I'm not making much sense, I'm sorry. But, you know, the gospel going forth. We live in Cambridge. We've been put here by God. You know, we have a heritage in the city of the gospel going from here to the four corners. And I forgot to say, June sent a word for us. Um, she said, there's a word for Saturday and watch the corners. Yeah, watch the corners. That was the word. So we're all on the greens looking at the corners thinking, you know, what's this going to come from the corners? My friend Charles said he thought it was a word for tonight in the England game. Watch the corners. But, you know, I think it's just watch Italians. Yeah, but, but when, we, when we prayed, someone had something in the heart, and I shared that word, and it made a real difference to them. You know, so it was good that we had that word, and I'm not going to share it because, uh, just because I'm not. But um, it, was, it was really used. But we were praying that the gospel would go forth from this city to the four corners. Of the earth. That's the heritage we have here, not because we're clever or special or anything, but because God loves us and he's put us here in this place to proclaim that message. So my uh, challenge to myself and to us all is let's just look to see who God is uh, connecting us to. They may be in the strangest places from the strangest churches, but if they're God connections, they're great for the gospel because the gospel needs to go forth at this time. Yeah, we've had the virus and all that kind of stuff, but now it's time for the gospel to go forth. People need hope. People need Jesus. People need to hear. And now more than ever, we need to be sharing the good news. So let's pray and let's go. Like I said last week, let's pray and let's go. You know, find someone to pray with. You don't have to go to a legitimate prayer meeting. Just find people to pray with. That You are one in heart with. You can pray for the harvest and then go out among the people. Yeah? So we're going to go into breaking of bread. Uh, and I want us to pray about the church in the city to start with, and then the message going forth. And I'm going to break bread. I've got one in my pocket. Um, I'm, I'm going to try not to drip it all over my hands like last time. I just want to read one verse. Um, it's from 1 Corinthians. Because there is one bread, we who are many, a one body, for we all partake of one bread, which is Christ. I'm having a bit of trouble here. Sorry. 
Yeah, these cups are great until they aren't. <laughs> Can you do it? Thank you. Thank you. Take the bed. Can we stand? Let's pray. And you can pray for whichever city you're in because it applies to every city that there's one church in your city, your town, your village, wherever you are. Father, I thank you that because we all partake of one bread, we are one body. And Lord, I declare at this time that the body of Christ will come together. The body of Christ will come together. That the walls will come down. Church without walls. Not all meeting in the same place necessarily but finding one another to work together for the harvest, for the gospel going forth in this city and around the world. And Lord, I pray specifically for Cambridge in the area. Thank you, Lord, that we have a heritage in this city of the first evangelistic sermon preached, which went around the nation and around the world. May it be again, Lord. May it be again, Lord. Raise your church up in this city. Bring together your church in this city, that your word will go forth to the city, to the nation, to the nations, Lord. Lord, we declare that the time is for the harvest. The harvest is ripe. Lord, thrust out workers into the harvest fields. Lord, that many, 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 many people will be saved and come to salvation and know you. And Lord, that the church of God will be victorious would shine forth and sing for Jesus, that the enemy will be trampled under our feet because that's where he belongs. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you for your bread. We thank you for your blood. We bless you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please sit down. You can say, drink your wine now. Thank you, Susie. That's great. Thank you for your blood, Lord. You are so good. You are so good. Yes, Lord. And we're going to take our offering. Um, the details will magically appear through the skill of Jules. Um, thank you, Lord, for all that you give us. We are so rich. We are so rich, Lord. Thank you. You've given us so much, Lord. And out of our abundance, we give to you that you would take it like little boy's lunch and share it with the multitudes. Lord, we look for an ingathering of money to pay for workers out into the harvest, to pay for all that's needed to get this job done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Cool. So Mark, I think, let's just pray for Mark. Father, I thank you for Mark. Thank you, he's coming to equip us now for our life, for godliness. Lord, I pray that you'd use him to speak deep into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I start, I just wanted to Stuart to come up and share a testimony that he sent me by text about a week ago. Well, that's better. <laughs> Well, I, te I sent Mark a text, I can't remember when, maybe a week ago. Some of you know I've got twin boys who, um, who are quite known around here, the, you know, likely lads. <laughs> when they were born, the, they, they, we discovered that they had life-threatening allergies, the boy's mother and I. And the doctors basically said they would have to have them for the rest of their life. So 
everywhere we went was an EpiPen. It was a real palaver. You go to a restaurant, the, 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 the chefs would think you're super paranoid, but they're literally, they were allergic to egg, um, beef. Oh, the list is long and distinguished. Um, a lady came to, to Faith Life, I don't know, Mark, when was it? Maybe a couple of years ago, maybe? I can't remember. Yeah. And she prophesied over Georgia now and said that basically the allergies go. But the doctors had said to us, they've got the for life, you know, and it's like it's your children, and you think that sucks, you know, for they couldn't even have an ice cream because it would mean having an EpiPen. About uh, two months ago, they went to the allergy specialist, and the allergy specialist said, they're all gone. So, yeah. So, glory to God, really. Um, we, we're all really pleased with George and I, and they're flourishing. You know, we, see, God's word says, you know, if we trust in him in everything, um, and he, we do serve a God of miracles, it's true. And, you know, and when he says in Jeremiah 29, for I give you a future and a hope, the, the medical people, and they are brilliant, and glory to God for them, but sometimes God is the best physician ever, and he can... Amen. Uh, amen, and glory to God. <laughs> Joel says we've got a good father. Who agrees? Yeah. Well, I do. <laughs> um, so I was on a, a pastor's, uh, like, Zoom, worldwide Zoom this week, uh, with uh, Carly and Ashley Terrades. And it, it was actually Carly that, that prophesied that and prayed for the boys. And so I shared this. And like the, the eruption that took place on this Zoom call was just amazing to, to see the, the, you know, the excitement that when God, um, you know, when, when we see these amazing miracles. And that's why we want to keep pressing in, don't we? You know, we... we we aren't yet seeing what the disciples saw. We see stuff, and we see people healed, and we see people set free, and we see people delivered. But until it's 100%, like, like the disciples after Post Cross saw, we aren't here yet. So we need to keep pressing in. We need to keep praying for people. We need to keep believing. And where we don't get a breakthrough straight away, we keep praying. You know, somebody once asked me, when, when do you stop praying? And, and I said, well, when they're dead. And then I thought about it, and I thought, actually, no, when they're buried, because there's still a chance after the dead, we need to get into this raising of the dead stuff as well. Um, you know, we've, we've seen things raised from the dead. We've seen like, a deer raised from the dead, and we've seen plants raised from the dead, but we're yet to see people. Um, it's quite hard to get to dead bodies to, to actually pray for them. But we need to uh, set our sights higher, because, you know, right at the outset, God said we were supposed to have dominion around here. And that was given up by Adam, but Jesus came to restore what the devil stole. So we need to believe for more, not just settle, settle for where we are, but to just keep pressing in. Not to get discouraged, but to be encouraged when we see things. You know, when... Um, I've completely gone off tangent already, haven't I? You know, when, when, you, when you do this journey of expecting and believing for the miraculous, you get... You get highs and you get lows, and we've we've heard about some of the highs recently, uh, but there's you know that sometimes you don't see anything for for a long long time, and one of the things that we we've learned over the years is this is that there's nothing to learn from 
the ones where you don't see anything. You, because the more you try and explore reasons why that ha might happen, the more you raise up and set your heart on doubt. The things to learn from are the positive testimonies because those testimonies within themselves contain a seed that give rise to further, further miracles. So we, 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 we don't deny the, 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 the ones where we haven't seen anything yet, but we, we concentrate on the good stuff because that encourages and raises, it stirs up the spirit of faith in our hearts. Remember, Paul talked about having a light spirit of faith. That's what we want to stir up in our hearts, a light spirit of faith like the disciples had. So that's the journey we've been on for a long time now. And it's not a journey we'll ever stop until we're seeing what the disciples saw. But I'm, I'm really encouraged as well by... Uh, what God's doing, connecting us to other believers in the city. I think that's just, that, that is part of this breakthrough, uh, that we have to be open. And we just, I, I, I pray every day for the day when the church gets over its competitive spirit. Because that's the spirit of the enemy that's gotten into the church in our generation and it needs to stop. And it needs to stop straight away. Um, and, and, and I keep praying for that, and I'll keep praying for that until that goes. Um, you know, um, what I'm going to talk about there, I'm just going to move that because it's really strange. It feels like there's something sat on my shoulder. <laughs> um, what I'm going to talk about today, it's, I'm, I've entitled it Soul Care. Okay, so it's a new, a new series. If you were around uh, the, la the you know, last several weeks, I, I talked about a previous series, and it was called Soul Life. So in a sense, this follows on from that, but actually in another sense, it's completely new. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm kind of like going to set things up for the coming weeks. So this is kind of the, the technical teaching stuff. And then that'll set us up to explore some of the things that God's been showing me about from his word about how we care for our souls. But first off, we need to understand why we should care for our souls. It, it seems a no-brainer, doesn't it? But actually, it's such a no-brainer that most of us fail to do it and, and fail in, in a big way. Like, we don't even give it a thought. We think it's one of those that registers on a Sunday morning, I need to do something about that. And then nothing happens. And, and it's something that none of us can afford to ignore, and yet most of us manage to forget about. And that's why I want to put it back at the center of things. You know, one of the things that I said a few weeks ago is that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think what we've learned from this pandemic, this lockdown, I don't think it's about, you know, like, what's a different way we can grow our church? I think God's kind of moved on from that i think what he, he it's no longer about building bigger better churches god's got an issue now with our character and our own integrity and, and the integrity of the body of christ and it's about not building bigger better churches but building bigger and better people and and, and building bigger and pe better people requires a completely different thing it, it requires discipleship rather than good organization and management skills. And so it's, it's that, and I believe this is a wake-up call for the church um, that we can't afford to ignore. 
And, you know, many of us want to, many, many pastors talk about when can we get back to church like it was. And that's, that's actually the worst thing we can do. Because church like it was, wasn't producing the character change that the Holy Spirit wants to produce. And it wasn't producing the life and healthy souls that, that God wants us to have. So we need to think differently and put different things on the agenda. It's not that you stop church looking like church. It's that you put different things on the agenda. Like Roger's been just amazing and, and Olive and, and these guys about putting on, on the agenda that we one body across this city. And God wants to put different things on that agenda. So I'm going to talk about soul care. And you're like, well, what about like stirring us to something amazing? We can do the most amazing things. And if our souls are out of whack, they will produce something that is a clanging cymbal and a sounding gong. And we'll end up in the mess we've been in for the last 20 or 30 years of lots of effort and no fruit. And so we need fruit. And fruit is not just in terms of souls won, which is, equal, which is massively important, but fruit is also in terms of lives changed. And the first place we start with life changed is us. So let me, let me open that up and give you some background. So um, we've all got two parts to ourselves. I'll explain what I mean by that when I get my watch off, because as you know, I, I'm not great at keeping to time unless I keep an eye on it. Um, we've all got two parts. We've got what I would call, let me introduce you to some ideas. We've got an outer self and an inner self. An outer self and an inner self. Now, what's your outer self? Well, what, what I'm talking about here is we all have a public per persona. We all have a public me that, that we show to the world, uh, a visible you that you, you are showing to the world. And, you know, that consists of things like your fashion sense, but, you know, on a bigger scale, it consists of things like your accomplishments, where you, what you've managed to achieve, where you've got to in your career, what, what, what you've done, um, you know, in your neighborhood, what you've done here, what you've done there. You know, ultimately, all these things, all these accomplishments, all these things you've achieved, all these things you've accumulated, all this life you've built around yourself, this outer self, that's where your reputation with the world lies. Because the world can only see the outer self. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, and that's why we concentrate so much on the outer self. Because we all want to be loved, we all want to be accepted, and we all feel that if we can fix all that world around us, and if we're massively successful, and everything works really well, and all, all, everything slots into place, and we never mess up at anything, if we could do all those things, those zillions and zillions of things, we'd be okay, because everybody would love us, yeah? And that's why in society today, and even in church, we concentrate so much on fixing this outer self. And that's why we talk about so, so much about how you can have an amazing career, how, how God's got this incredible destiny for you where you just go up and up and up and there's never any problems and, and all those sort of things. And there, there's always truth in that, isn't there? But the reality is that's our outer self. And, you know, the problem with this, this outer self is it's got harder and harder to manage in our modern world because 
it's your your outer self now with social media and contacts and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's got larger and larger. It's more exposed to the, any, everybody else than it's ever been. You know, as, as pastors, we know everything that's going on in everybody's lives because we're so exposed to it. And even if you guys don't come and tell us, we see it on your Facebook and we see it on your social media and we see, and everybody knows so much and information moves so quickly about this, this outer life we have. And and our world now is just so much more complex, even than it was, you know, when we were teenagers, when I was a teenager. Um, it's busier. And the thing that I've really noticed is it's just horrendously quick. Everything demands instantaneous stuff. And if you don't respond instantaneously, people think you don't care. And, and we've got ourselves in this situation. Life's moving at 100 mile an hour. And it feels like it's out of control, but we think, well, I need to fix this outer world in order to be okay. So we spend so much time trying to fix this outer world, and our energy gets poured into it, our lives get poured into it, and still, we just don't feel right inside. Because we have an inner world, we have an inner self, uh, an inner self. And your inner self is like where, where you know, where you think, where your secret thoughts are, where you, what you feel about things, what you feel about yourself, how you see yourself. And, it, and it's where your, all your hopes, all your wishes, all your uh, desires, they, they all reside inside. And, uh, you know, this is inside is the place where your dreams live and die. You know, I, I remember once, and it's quite a lot of years ago, we were um, we went out and there was a few of us uh, partners in this big accountancy firm and we went out for lunch together and we sat there and somebody raised the sort of question you don't raise to accountants, which is, what would you be, what would you like to be if you weren't an accountant? And it wasn't like accountancy is the best thing in the world. Everybody wanted to be something else apart from being an accountant. And so you've got, we, we, we had somebody there who wanted to have worked in a zoo. And, and I thought, okay, that's, that's, that's kind of cool. And we had somebody else who wanted to have, have gone and done like foreign aid work. I thought, okay, great. I wanted to be a comic book artist. You know, that's how we all wanted something different. But we have these hopes and dreams and desires inside. But we get stuck with this outer life that we're trying to fix in order so that we can feel good about ourselves in our inner life. And that's the problem. Because that inner life is inside and nobody sees it, it's easy to neglect. And that's what we, we end up doing. So when the world outside us is unhealthy, we can't deal with it because we're unhealthy inside. And, and the truth is that, that God says you can be healthy inside even when the world outside is unhealthy. And we talked about like, like that last time. But here's the, the kind of key first point I want to make. We often assume that fixing our outer self will fix the inner self. When actually it's the opposite that's true. You, you know, we, we think when we're unhappy or when we're struggling or when we feel down or when we're depressed or when we just like feel man, my life's just drifting past. When we feel any of those things, what we, what we often think is, I need to change something about my life in order that I'll feel better. 
And so we, we, we go through all these large change ideas, you know, I'll kick my career in, I'll go and be a zookeeper, or I'll move house, or I'll do this, or I'll do that, or, you know, I'll just completely change my hairstyle, or the way I dress, or, you know, I'll, I'll get, you know, I'll, I'll have a midlife crisis, all those sort, all those sort of things. But we, we, the reason for that is we're thinking that being in an upgrade in our outside world, this large change, will actually give us an upgrade on their inside world. And, and we think that success in this outer world uh, will kind of impart peace and life. And we think, well, the reason I haven't got peace, the reason I don't feel life, the reason I haven't got joy is that everything's not working outside and I just can't get it all to work. And, and this happened this week at work and that person was horrible to me. And we, we end up trying to put sticking plasters on all this sort of stuff and we neglect the inside. Because we've wrongly assumed that the way we feel good inside is to fix the outside. And the opposite is true. You see, we live in the land of if only. Do you know what I mean by that? We live in the land of if only. If only I achieve this, then I'll be happy. If only I get married to that person, then I'll be happy. If only this, I'll be happy. If only I got on on my career, then I'll be happy. If only I can accumulate enough to get to the age of 65 and retire I'll, with enough money to live off, then I'll be happy. And we live our lives in this land of if only. And the, the trouble with the land of if only is it doesn't, it never, it's a never-ending land. There's always an if only. Because we're trying to fix the wrong bit. We're trying to fix the outer self when it's actually the inner self that needs the care. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so that's it. And, you know, in the previous series, we looked at this, this, this concept, didn't we, that we saw... Yeah, I don't know if any of you kind of picked it up, but actually the, the PVC is called Soul Life. It was actually an, an exposition of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 from the viewpoint of what happened to, had, to Adam and Eve, what happened inside of them. And uh, what we discovered is that there's two elements that God intends us to have. He intends us to have soul drivers, and he intends us to have soul givers, things that we receive life from and, and connect us to him and connect us to other people. And when Adam fell, all that got out of kilter, and we ended up with the, the soul drivers driving everything and us disconnecting because of the pressure that produced in our life from the soul givers. And the answer wasn't to fix the soul drivers, the things that drive us. They're, they're not bad things, they're good things. The answer was to redress the balance by connecting to the soul givers. The connection with God and the connection with others in the body of Christ. You know, one of the things that, that we'll, we, we, we're going to be looking at in, in the next week as elders is what does church look like after late, Boris's latest announcement? And here's the thing. Most of us are going to disagree on, on what that, that might look like and what's safe and what isn't safe. I just think we need to ask a bigger question is what will it take for us to get back to church? When... when when is the, you know, what will it take to get everybody back in this building? Because that's what we really want, isn't it? We want to be together, all of us, in one building as a church family. And we all need to ask ourselves, well, if that, if that means we, we, we do some things that are a bit more cautious and it gets more people back in here, that's a good thing, isn't it? We need to stop standing on all the things that we just want to do. 
And I don't know where the answer is to that. But every one of us, you know, whether we're here now or we haven't been here, we need to ask the question, when will we be here? What's the trigger for when we'll be here? Because we need to be together as a church family. You, you can't draw on that life of others in the body without connecting with them. And, and because of that, we end up with an unhealthy soul. And, and we end up trying to, to fix all these things around us in our life and wondering, well, what's the issue? The issue is we're not connecting with others in the body that we're supposed to connect with. And the issue is we're struggling to connect with God because everything's so remote. And so we, we, here's a, something that I found just really impacted me when I, I first saw this quote. And it's from a guy that I've read a lot of and I've found hugely helpful. He's not the easiest person to read, but he wrote one of the great classics of Christian literature called The Divine Conspiracy. Some of you have probably read it. A guy called Dallas Willard. Willard. And he said this, the really deep reason you feel life is not working for you is that you are not just a self, you are a soul. You're a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God. Which means you are not made to be self-sufficient. And that, that is just such a big key because it tells us that for us to be healthy in here, and to feel right in here, which is what we want, that's the goal, we have to find the ways that we connect with God genuinely to experience his presence and genuinely hear his voice and genuinely, genuinely let him love us. And so it's so important that in ignoring this inner self, we, in a sense, what, what it's done is he's created an inability within the body of Christ to really connect with God and experience his presence and, and his spirit the way we should be experiencing his presence in his spirit, which is why I said that stuff at the start. In that I think the big next step we need to take as a body, if we're going to see even more of the miraculous and move towards seeing more of what the disciples saw, is we have to learn how to live in the presence of God, encounter God, hear his voice accurately, not just something we've made up or think we might have heard, but we know we've heard, and, and, and how build that sort of relationship with God. But as long as we're trying to fix the outer world, we've neglected to concentrate on that inner world. So we've made church all about how do I get people to come to a prayer line and pray for them and all that sort of stuff, when the reality is what we need to learn is how do we connect with God and let him love us. Because that will restore our souls. That will fix our souls. Let, let me explain that now. Because I've talked a bit, quite a bit there. But I need to give you some scripture, don't you? Because we're a word church. You know, if it's not in the word, we don't believe it. If it is in the word, we're required to believe it. It's a really simple equation. So here's what it says in Genesis 2.7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man, what, became a living soul. And that's, that's, that's the essence of who God intends you to be. A living soul, a soul that has life, has energy, has joy, has peace. That's what God breathed into Adam. How do I know that's what God breathed into Adam? 
because God breathed his own spirit into Adam. And what does God have? He has joy, he has peace, he has contentment, he has excitement, he has love, he has freedom, he has all those sort of things. And that's what he breathed into Adam, and that's what it means to be a living soul. Isn't that what, he, what we all want? Isn't that what we all desire at the heart of this? All those things we're trying to fix to give us that, it's about that, isn't it? That we know we're loved and we lo- we, we're capable of loving others. And we find peace and joy in that, no matter what the outside circumstances are. Here's the thing about trying to fix the outside self. You can't. Why? Because you are not in control of outside circumstances. That's why it's so futile and so absorbing and so tiring and so draining and so exhausting this life that we've been living and so we 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 get this and and then you know i'm thinking like where are the where are things where i really connect to god and i was thinking like what what's it been for me and i remember like as as youth we would um once a year we'd go up it is a Lake District boy, our youth, church youth club. We'd go up and we'd, we'd, we'd climb up in the middle of the night to the top of Helvellyn and you get the most spectacular sunrises and sunsets at the top of Helvellyn. And so you'd see these and you see them all over the Lakeland Hills and it's just like, this is God and he's, he's magnificent, isn't he? He's just amazing. And you know that, and you get this combination of joy and awe. And there's other places where I felt, kind of felt connected to God. Like, there's this place that, that Shell and I go to. We used to go every year, but we haven't been for a while for obvious reasons, in, in Portugal. And it's kind of, when you go down to the, the coast in the area that we're in, there's like this, this in, inland lagoon that you go over by a wooden bridge and you get to another bit of grass and then there's the beach at the other side. And it's just absolutely beautiful. It's just amazing thing that God's created and, you, and it's this awe isn't it and you know it's, it's the waves and the, the sea air on your face and all those things where we take time to appreciate what God has placed around us and that brings healing for our soul but it also gives us a sense of how amazing our God is um, you know there's a depth to those moments isn't there that goes beyond just what you're experiencing in your body Our life does not just consist of bodily experiences. There is a depth that goes beyond us that is our self. The thing that touches our soul inside. And and, and where, you know, where your soul connects to what's around you and it sends a a message to your entire being. And, And John put it like this. He said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health health even as your soul prospers that's third john verse two and what he's saying there is that if you are going to really prosper as in have live live life as it is in all its fullness and be in health then your soul needs to prosper you can't have one without the other it's a, it's a, it's a balance and Here's, here's where, where I'm coming from. I, I looked at that verse. We keep coming back to this verse, and it's something that God's been talking to me a lot through. And it says that to care for our souls, we have to connect to the life that God imparts. 
That, that's the first prerequisite. To care for our souls, we have to connect to the life that God imparts. Without care, soul care, there will always be a disjoin between our outer life and our inner life. And, you know, I, I think I shared last time in about our, our, our fountain in the garden and what happened to the previous one. And how, you know, we had this lovely water feature in our, our garden and the water would come down. But then, unfortunately, pigeons and wood pigeons and all that, they liked our fountain. And they would come and sit on our fountain and then they would poo into our fountain. And they would poo. And in their poo, there was little stones of things they're eating, you know, little seeds and all that sort of stuff. And it would go down underneath. And it eventually, if you didn't do anything about it, like you went on holiday for a few weeks, you come back, find your fountain broken, because all these things had, had accumulated in it, built up, and the pump was just full of bird poo. And without care for our souls, that's what happens to our life. Our life gets full of all the poo that comes from all the things around us. And that gives us problems inside. The answer to that is we've got to care for our souls. And you know, the events and circumstances of the outer world will always drive the inner if we don't take the initiative in caring for our souls. If we aren't deliberate about it, if we aren't intentional about it. Um, you see, God intends this inner life to be healthy, so it imparts outer life. That's the way these things went work. That's the way you're actually wired, so that your inner life imparts health to your outer life. Now, in order for me to kind of fill this out a little bit, I'm just going to take kind of, I'm going to do about another 10 minutes. And I just want you to, I just want to answer a question. Some of you will go, well, Mark's talked about this before. I've talked about this several times over the years because I'm going to talk about body, soul, and spirit. But the truth is that God's been showing me some new stuff around that. Not that the other stuff was wrong, but he's been showing me a, a, a new depth around that about how this thing works. Okay? See, if you're going to fix your soul, if you're going to have a healthy soul, you actually have to, first of all, know what your soul is. It's a bit, I, I don't know if you, for the, I'll, I'll do an illustration for the older ones among us, and Brian, that you, you can go along to like car halfords uh, and places like that. There used to be these manuals, I don't know if they still call them, Haynes manuals. And you could buy one, and the idea was you would read it, and you would learn how to fix your car. Yeah? And, and you'd still end up ringing Brian up, wouldn't you, most of the time. And, and, and basically, you know, the thing is that cars work a lot better if they're serviced, everything's aligned, everything's kind of cleaned, uh, all its parts are in the right place, they're all tightened up, and in that situation, cars now are capable of wonderful things. And, you know, if you understand all the parts and how they work, you experience the result. And that's why we need to understand how the parts work, what the parts are, so we can understand how to get to the result we want, which is a healthy inside. So we have, we, we have three parts to us. And uh, I'll, I'll prove this to you biblically in a moment, but I'll explain the parts first. So the first part of us, or, or the first part of our soul, so I'm talking about our soul. Some of you will have heard me talk about uh, body, soul, and spirit. We're three-part being. Body, being this bit, your earth suit. Your spirit 
been what happened to you when you were born again. Your spirit came alive and connected to God. And in between that, you have this thing called your soul. And your soul also has three parts. And the first part it has is this thing called a will. How many of you have a will? I don't mean the written one, like last will and testament. I mean, how many of you can actually make decisions? Yeah? Your will is the bit of you that allows you to choose. So God gave us that so we could choose to love God of our own free will. That's the idea. It's a genuine choice. And so we have this thing called a will that enables us to actually take genuine choices. And it's a God thing. All these things are God things. Unfortunately, when Adam fell, they all got a bit messed up as death and sin entered creation. But that's the point of, of our will. And, and our will is our ability to choose. And that, that ability to choose is what makes you a person and not a thing. Have you ever thought about that? Things can't choose. People can. A person can choose. And, you know, the, the Bible talks about this because we're word people. The Bible talks about this in terms of we exercise dominion. That was God's intention by our choices. He, he kitted us out so we could actually make choices and exercise dominion and shape things and be creative. How many of you are creative people? Well, that, that comes from your will. It's, it's in there because you're designed to have dominion and be creative, to make choices between all the options that are in front of you and to make wise choices. And, and you know, free will is something that even those who don't believe in God, treasure is a gift of God, isn't it? Nobody wants their free will taken away. Everybody fights for their free will, and that's what we've been given. That's what I'm talking about. And your will is so central to your spiritual life. Now, here's the point. That's where many of the practices we have in churches and in the body of Christ stop. Because we assume that the problem is just the will. And if you just exercise your will and you clean up your act and you decide you're not going to go down that route anymore, but you're going to go down a different route, everything will be all right, won't it? And, you know, it's just a series of exercises of willpower that gets you to be a good Christian. And that's behind a lot of our practices, isn't it? That we, we do. We, we assume that, you know, you repent of what you've done, you exercise your willpower and everything's going to be all right till you come back next week and confess you've done exactly the same thing. So you repent again and exercise your willpower again and off you go. And we get stuck in this cycle of trying to just deal with our spirituality on the basis of our will. You know, if that was true, it raises this question, doesn't it? Why aren't we all doing great at being Christians? Why, why aren't we all perfect if all it takes is will? And the answer to that is it's, it's not just about our will. Our will isn't the totality of our soul. In fact, if we try to run, run on willpower alone, which we'd require to over, override the other two bits, the mind and the emotions, if we try to do that on our own, one of the things we quickly discover is we exhaust our will. Will power is not, you know, infinite. In fact, what the will is really good at is making big choices. 
Will's really good at making big choices like I want to get married, I want to buy that house, and I want a blue car instead of a red car. Will, absolutely perfect, because that's what he's designed to do. I'm going to decide to love God. Big choice. The will is absolutely terrible at dealing with complexity and grey areas. It's just hopeless. It's not designed for complexity. It's designed for that one or that one. I'll go for that one. And that's why we exhaust ourselves when we try and run on will. Um, you know, and that's why our willpower is so bad at overriding habits, attitude, life patterns, uh, all those sort of things. So if we try to improve our soul by just improving our, you know, exercising our willpower, eventually we'll just be exhausted. And the thing we'll do then is we'll sit, sit there and we'll go, I'm an absolutely abysmal Christian. I've got such shame, I've got such guilt, I hope nobody ever finds out what I'm like inside because I'm hopeless at all this sort of stuff, so I'll fix all the outside so everybody thinks I'm great. Again, we fall back on that trying to fix the outside without realising what the inside's taking. Okay, so the second bit we have is we have this thing called the mind. How many of you got a mind? Okay, some of you have got minds that are asleep, I can see. But we all have a mind, don't we? And what's, what's a mind? The mind is just simple. It's your processing factory. It processes things. It observes things. It, it takes sensory inputs in. It forms them into patterns. It forms them into thought processes. It's, it's fantastic at doing that. You know, the, the human mind is absolutely incredible. And, you know, it, it files things along lines, it files things in patterns, it observes things and tries to fit patterns to it. And that's why we get ingrained in habits and attitudes and, and all those sort of things. And that's why it's so difficult to run purely off will, because your mind's filing all this stuff in patterns. And a lot of the stuff it's filing isn't from God, it's from just whatever's going around in your life and what other people have said. So we get, get, get this thing in, in our mind. And you get these thoughts, these feelings... And, and, and then we have this third bit called our emotions. How many of you have got emotions? How many of you have experienced emotions? How many of you are really concerned about what your emotions will be doing at 8 o'clock tonight at kickoff? <laughs> yeah. Me too. You know, you, we've got all these thoughts, all these feelings flowing through us all the time in that, like these habitual patterns. Now, where, where do we see that? We see that in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now, here's where I start to move on to the new stuff I'm going to be showing you that I've not talked about before. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for that verse to be true, must mean that God has done something to make that possible. Yeah? So, there is available to us the ability to care for our souls and fix our souls. Otherwise, that would be a nonsense, that verse. And God's initiated that, 
And he's provided what he needed to bring balance to our souls. You see, this is, this is just where I'm going to finish now. When you put all those things together, you end up, you've got your mind, your will, and your emotions. And the idea that w- w- what we are creating, that's really nice colours. You have changed all these slides, haven't you? That's the first time. Mine are nothing like that. Thank you. That's a really lovely colour. Anyway, so the idea is that these three things that God created us with, the mind, the will, and emotions, these things we call our soul, are supposed to integrate in such a way that they're healthy. It's not one bit, two bits of it, three bits of it. We're supposed to be integrated. We're supposed to be your soul. You see, this is the thing that that God's been starting to show me. You see, when I've talked about this before, I've got to the mind, will, and emotions a bit. And then what we do is you try and fix the mind. Okay, so that's a good understanding, and it's fantastic stuff, and you can read all about it in the Rock Solid book, and you can learn all about it with the Rock Solid workbook and all those other resources that we've got available. And, you know, you can do that. But I just want to take it a step further, because what really always bothered me about that is if it's just a will, which is a deciding function, and a mind, and some emotion. Is that really all I am? Am I just a complicated processing factory? Or is there something that is me when those three things come together and are integrated? And I think the soul is the integration of all those things together. And so an unhealthy soul unbalances a healthy soul is integrated. Now, here's the point. Jesus was the perfectly integrated man. <laughs> and that's what he's trying to produce in us. So, let me just go back to that start. Well, let me say one more thing first. Here's the thing. Not caring, we just said this, not caring for our inner life allows our outer life to do something to our soul. You see, it's not a neutral thing. If you don't care for your inner life, your outer life will do something to your soul. So when we are concentrating so much on our outer life, we're actually doing something to our souls. And the thing that we are causing them to do is disintegrate. We disintegrate our souls. The outer will lead the inner, and that will be reversal of God's intention for our health. So when we don't care for our souls, the thing that's supposed to be integrated disintegrates. And that's what you're feeling. Because you've tried, and we've all tried, and I've tried for slightly more years than I want to admit to, I've tried to fix my outer life thinking if I've got everything in place and I look great to everybody else, people will like me and and my life will be good and I'll have this joy, peace and all that sort of stuff that it talks about. And it's easy to translate in the world terms, but it's just the same in church, isn't it? We think if we do all these things in church and we've got the right title and the right role and we do this and we do that and we turn up for prayer meetings, then 
people think I'm great. And then I'll think I'm great. And then I'll be okay. Here's the thing. People might think you're great, but you still don't think you're great. You still go, I'm a, there's just something wrong inside. And the reason is that outer world we've been trying to fix has disintegrated our soul on the inside. So this is the last bit. And this is where I'm going to pick up next week. So what, what, what's the answer? The answer is we care for our soul in such a way that reintegrates it. That brings it into balance. Remember, right at the start, we started with that verse from Genesis. Genesis 2, verse 7. Where it talks about God breathed into him and man became a living soul. What we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to see how God's going to breathe into you and breathe into me and breathe into every single one of us and we're going to become living souls. Where we become integrated and whole. Because God has provided the way we can access the life we need to draw on to become living souls in the way we're meant to be. To reintegrate what the world has disintegrated to reintegrate what we've disintegrated, to reintegrate what all our church practices have disintegrated, to reintegrate, to be a whole soul. And to do that, he's going to breathe life into us. And the way he breathes life into us is already there. And that's the big thing. So we need to know what that is, know how it works, and just do it. Use it. Amen. Let's stand. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have provided a means. Not of fixing everything in the world. But so that we can be healthy inside. When the world around us is unhealthy. You've provided a means, not only of that, but so that we can take that which has been disintegrated, that which has been damaged, that which is out of kilter, and put it back into place. And I thank you, Lord, that you're going to help every one of us in this room and online to be bigger and better people. Those who are alive, who have life and joy and health and freedom and peace in their souls, irrespective of what is around. So I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, Faith Life, we love you. We're uh, hoping to see more and more of you as the weeks go by. Uh, have a great week. Uh, pray for our boys tonight, 8 o'clock. Um, you know, try, try and deal with the emotions, you know, all that sort of stuff, and uh, have a great week. Bye.